I got a cool glass and everything. I got a cool bottle, and, and I can't show it as far as I can tell because we're having such issues with the with the thing. I mean, I guess if I had set up OBS entirely differently, I could probably actually take it directly from my webcam instead of from Discord like I usually do, which is easier because then I have an identical layout. Um, but, uh, yeah. Hey, Blink. Hey, let's let see. me attempt to stream this thing. Yeah, if this works, then... Uh, we may or may not have something for you here. So let's see. Where the heck did I put Discord? Um, somehow it closed itself completely. That's odd. It's a good thing that closing oh, itself still... completely doesn't shut it down. All right. Yeah, that is a good thing. <laughs> All right. And I guess that was a probably a really weird way to introduce ourselves to the audio version instead of the usual ubiquitous opening monologue. So, uh, I actually have my notes open for once, though, so I can actually read it. Hello, Internet. My name is Spamoman. As always, your host of Drink to the Past, the only podcast where Chris a whole bottle of Coca-Cola. Also, share and subscribe and ring that bell to get notifications every Friday when we go live on YouTube. I am joined by like co-host and or guests. Our, my, my new middle name has eaten my last name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um... Yeah, so uh, real quick, I did want to plug our next upcoming couple of shows. So next week, we are going to be joined by At Tea Crusading uh, from Cobble Path Games. I don't know if they usually go by their screen name. I was talking to him earlier on uh, earlier this week. Uh, sounds like he's interested in uh, tabletop design. He is one of the creative minds behind Heroes of Hyrule, which is a Zelda fan RPG. Uh, so that'll be really cool. We're going to talk about uh, various design philosophies and stuff next week. And Chris is being a lame nerd and going to something else. That jerk. Yeah. Of yes, all I the am. episodes for you to miss, I feel like this is like the one that uh, I... <laughs> I, am, I am sad to miss this particular episode. Mm. Uh, Did you read through the Heroes I, I of Hyrule at least? I am missing it for a very good reason. I, I, have, I have not. I have not had time to look over it, unfortunately. Yeah. I, I also have not, because I had to... I was thinking about it, and then I uh, one of my characters died in a campaign recently, so I've been spending most of today that I wasn't, like, out and about doing stuff. Uh, I was uh, working on my new character, because level 13 Pathfinder builds can get uh, time-consuming. You lost a... Uh, ooh, last night. You lost that character last night? Um, yes, I did uh, lose him last night. Uh, so that was an uh, unfortunate happening. Um, GL Emil H says, Ahoy there. So, yeah, welcome to the live audience. Oh. We're always glad to have people telling us what to drink or when to drink, um, which is always for us. Um, anyways, uh, what was I talking about? Oh, yeah, my character died. So I guess we'll get into what you're playing um, as long as we are here. Um, real quick, I am going to try something. So here is our, uh, oh yeah, I never got to fix that. So let me see if I can get this to capture Discord correctly, then maybe we can see Chris's gameplay, but it doesn't seem so. So I'm just going to go back to what we were doing earlier. So, uh, yes, we are here. <laughs> we're not starting soon. We are started already. Sorry for the confusion um 
OBS is, is being a pain right now. But that's the life of a streamer, I think. Uh, and, and we're not even streamers. We're just some drunks. I mean, I stream things. I guess that technically makes us streamers. We make streams of pee four to six hours uh, after the podcast. Only four to six hours? Depends on how thick the beer is that day, I suppose. Um, which, today, it's actually fairly thick. But we'll get into that in a second. Yeah, because I want to talk about my character, because we actually had a cool conversation about character deaths last week. And uh, I thought it was uh, kind of hilarious timing that we talked about character deaths. And then I had another character death the week following on my uh, Thursday night campaign. So... That was uh, unfortunate timing, but it was it was a pretty cool death. I'm I'm happy with it. Um, so uh, I was uh, playing a cleric uh, with the Elder Mythos Cultist uh, template, whatever they call that in Pathfinder. They have like archetypes, I think. Um, Archetype. Yeah. So the Elder Mythos Cultist was a really uh, fun thing to build, and. Uh, in action, it played really, really well too. Because it was, uh, it was kind of funny. Uh, like the first time I was playing with the players, uh, they were like, "Oh yeah, you're a cleric. That'll be great for our party dynamic." Uh, assuming I was, you know, a Healy cleric or some such. And uh, no, that is not at all what I was. I was all damage all the time. I had some heal spells, but I think I used them more often to damage undead than I did to actually heal my party members uh with my big ones at least i'd, I'd save those kind of situationally i might use them if like we were in real dire straits but most of like mostly i'd have some of my low level spell slots dedicated to healing so we could like heal up between combats um and other than that i'd just like all damage all the time with some crazy ass meta magic cheese and it was it was pretty fun um and, uh, yeah, we got into this, uh, boss fight, um, with this giant shadow guy, uh, that came out of this graveyard and summoned a bunch of swarms of crows and ravens and, uh, a bunch of zombies that came and, and were fighting us. And I ended up getting one of my eyes gnawed out, was on one of their random tables by the, uh, ravens as they came and devoured me and... And then, it was pretty uh, brutal. Yeah, it was pretty brutal. And then I got uh, hit by some sort of an undead guy that did crap loads of uh, constitution drain. Uh, brought my constitution score down to, I think, like six or something. Uh, five or six. It was, it was like really low constitution, which took away most of my hit points there. Uh, between that and the actual damage itself, it put me to literally one hit point. And I was like, okay. That's, that's pretty much it. As soon as I got, I got like one more turn and I, I soaked as much damage into them as I could with my uh, uh, few spells. Because I, I had some good damage dealing spells ready, but none of them worked on undead. And so I was just kind of spamming my uh, lower level AoE spells for the double damage against the swarms, which seemed like a good idea at the time. And it I, I did pretty good damage in the end and I, I certainly helped mitigate a lot of the... <laughs> Uh, swarm damage to everybody else but it was not enough to save me um, and I ended up being devoured by these ravens and 
killed by this undead guy who uh, had killed another person recently and was, uh, like, bringing them back as zombies. So then everybody was like, oh, shit, they're going to bring bring him back as a zombie. And so uh, one of the other guys just, like, flame-striked my corpse. He's like, nope, we're not having that. <laughs> so, yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a good time. Um, yep. Go me. I never f yeah. got to uh, finalize my plans of uh, bringing back... Uh, elder god from the nethers to devour the world unfortunately but uh such is life i mean bad for you but probably good for everybody else you know it was it was an interesting character to play in a generally good party uh because basically my shtick was that um uh i wanted to make the world a jollier place for when my master returned to devour us all because jolly souls taste better. So I was an evil person. I would like literally like if I couldn't make you jolly, then I would probably just kill you because like you're not going to get jolly on your own. But I still managed to actually play well with the generally good aligned party and and we had some good interactions and and they were always like skeptical of my motives which is legitimate but uh they they all generally seem to have a good time role-playing with my uh scheming which was eventually hopefully gonna go places but you know that's how that's how that works when your player characters die <clears throat> All right. Oh, and I, I got somehow uh, distracted from what we were talking about. Uh, so next week, I'm going to have a guy from Cobblepath Games, uh, who are the creative minds behind Hyrule Heroes Fan RPG, uh, which will be a really fun topic next week. And the week after that will be the E3 betting special, just like we did two years ago. We didn't do it last year because there was no E3, but our good friends Kevin O'Rourke and Crow are coming on the podcast again in two weeks. Uh, for now, you can follow them. Follow Shabazzle on Twitch and uh, Crowbird Cannon on Twitch. Uh, both of them do various different things. Uh, Shabazzle is our buddy Kevin O'Rourke. Uh, does D&D &D streams, uh, I think, on Wednesdays usually. Um, and and they're they're always getting up to some fun shenanigans. It's I've, I've watched a couple of them. They're pretty fun. And uh, Crow has recently been actually doing some kind of charity stream. Uh, and I haven't been watching him recently because every time I see him, I'm like, oh, look, Crow's live. I should watch. And But I'm like already in the middle of something, which is, is kind of my problem with watching streams on Twitch. I don't watch nearly as many of them as I would like. I would love to support all of the little Twitch streamers that I, you know, am buddies with. But I, I just suck at watching streams. Anyway. Uh, what have you been paying, Chris? Have I been playing? Mm -hmm. Oh, what a Dota 2 ring. Uh, because uh, I can't suffer enough, apparently. Nice. <laughs> uh, I've also been playing Pathfinder Kingmaker, which uh, should, would be showing up in the stream if OBS were not being so shit. Uh, which normally it's not. Normally OBS is a pretty good program, but uh, right, yeah, it's it's just being annoying for us today. So I've been having fun with that, and that's one of it's it's interesting because this is the first CRPG I played where you can actually swap between 
uh, real-time combat mode and actually turn-based mode. Uh, like, hmm. real turn-based mode. And because it's Pathfinder, and I'm like, I know that game really well. Right. Uh, even though it disallows a lot of the more broken options. Mm-hmm. Which, sad for me, uh, unrepentant power gamer that I am. Uh, I, I've been having a lot of fun with it. It's got kind of a neat overworld exploration mechanic where you can go to a bunch of different areas and run into random encounters and just have random fucking adventures. Uh, which is kind of a nice break from what might otherwise be a fairly linear adventure path. So, yeah, I've been having having some fun with it. All right. Sounds pretty Alrighty. cool. All right, I've just edited the stream so it lets people know that we're here. In case you couldn't hear us. Haha. <laughs> I feel like a cleverish person. Um, anyways, uh, shall we go into the news and booze? Which means uh, Sean has to drink something stupid with a theme song. Which, uh, I should decide, like, which... Uh, I guess I'll just do the Hammered Bros, because we're going to go into the news and booze anyways. Uh, so, if you don't usually join the podcast, the uh, theme songs are written by me, and I play them on my bagpipes or my practice bagpipe, depending on if I want to set up my full electric bagpipe, or if I don't. In, in this case, it's my practice chanter. So, uh, yeah, it's always a fun time to have extra bagpipes, and if you want more bagpipes, just say so in the live chat, and usually I will get back to you unless I forget, in which case I'll record a video later and put it on Twitter. Yay! That was the greatest! Oh my god, what a cool theme song. If I ever, yeah. whenever I have to listen to you playing it, I have to unmute the YouTube video. Because <laughs> otherwise I can't hear it through Discord. Right, because Discord picks up voice instead of just everything from the... Because as far as I know, there's no setting on Discord to just make it pick up all of your mic chatter. I don't know. There might be somewhere, but I haven't looked around for it enough. Anyways, Sean Drinks Something Stupid this week is a cocktail, which I invented, and then I thought, well, that's kind of uncreative. I'm going to look up a recipe using similar ingredients online, and then I found a recipe that literally told me exactly the same thing that I have just thought of, that I thought, that's not creative enough. So, apparently it's creative enough for some guy online who doesn't know how to write drink recipes, so, I have a buttload of extra Kahlua, because a, butt a buddy of mine gave me a bottle of Kahlua like six months ago, and I haven't drunk it all, and then he just gave me another bottle of Kahlua, and I wondered why the hell he keeps buying Kahlua. <laughs> it's like, why, why are you doing this? If you don't drink the Kahlua, why did you buy two bottles of it and then give them to me? But, uh, no problem. Anyways, I, I had this Kahlua and I was like, looking at what else might pair with it to make something interesting. I was like, I have some Malibu uh, coconut rum. I was like, that might work. So I put in uh, two parts of that and some, or well, one part of each of those and then uh, filled up the rest of the glass with chocolate milk. Uh, which I thought, well, that's just kind of basic. It, but then I, I looked it up. I was like, 
I just Googled like drink recipe uh, with uh, Kahlua and uh, uh, what's the other stuff that I just said? Malibu. And uh, yeah, it was like the first thing that came up is literally just Kahlua, Malibu, and chocolate milk. So apparently this is called a Kahlua Malibu cow, which is a stupid ass name for a drink. But I mean, it tastes like chocolate milk with a little coffee in it. I mean, I would like that. Did I just hear a Discord ding? Is somebody else in the Discord? Uh, no. What happened was I exited out of Pathfinder Kingmaker because we can't stream. And, uh, for some reason, that crashed pretty much every program I had and caused them to all restart. Ah, well, that was awfully so, silly. the game is buggy, I guess, is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, because I was like, ooh, we have somebody invading our stream. I love it when that happens. That hasn't happened in a while. Because we are the kind of podcast that I just leave the Discord open. So, every now and then, we'll have Kevin's jumped in a couple of times. Uh, my brother Dan jumped in at the end of a podcast once. He's like, hey, what's going on? I saw you guys were on Discord. It was really awkward. <laughs> but, uh, you know. Uh, anyways, yeah, this is this is all right. What kind of beer are you drinking, Chris? Uh, I am drinking a Breckenridge Brewery uh, Avalanche Amber Ale. That's not a bad one. Me... It's not, like, my favorite favorite, but it's like, it's all right. Yeah, I I describe it as all right. It's like yeah. it's it's a real beer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd give it a ten, probably. All right, nice average beer. Uh, for those of you unfamiliar with our scale, our scale is based on uh, three point five Dungeons and Dragons stats, where you have a roll of a pool of d sixes to give yourself a number between 3 and 18, and uh, usually if you get an 18, you're cheating. So our scale is between 3 and 17, uh, because sometimes we have to cheat and give a beer an 18 because it's that fucking good. But uh, 10 is average, so that's not bad. Um, Yeah, this chocolate milk stuff, I'm going to give it like an 11, because, like, I mean, it's basically just chocolate milk with booze in it. But I like chocolate milk, so fuck you, don't judge. Yeah, it's not bad. And I will get into my beer in a minute because my beer is an absolutely, totally different style. I got a barley wine this week, which I do not think I want to drink at the same time as chocolate milk stuff. But, uh, yeah, that, so that'll be coming up. Um, anyways, let's get into the news and booze. First piece of news and booze is... Uh, kind of a shitty piece of news and booze. Yeah, it? it is. Uh, and we don't we don't cover a lot of, like, this kind of shitty piece of news and booze very much, but I, I thought it was the kind of thing that we should bring a little attention to and call out the people doing this and call them fucktards. Uh... So Little Big Planet has suffered attacks from hackers posting transphobic messages in the game. This started in March, according to the developer, and the latest attack is covered up by a little doohickey that says Chris is looking at the, <laughs> the latest attack was created a big enough issue for them to justify literally taking down their servers temporarily. Um, yeah, so I actually th- I actually read this, and this got me enough that I went... Uh, read more on it, so it sounds like it's just based on the information I'm hearing. It's just one guy uh, issuing a DDoS, uh, taking down the servers, and somehow not just doing a DDoS. He must have infected the server somehow because he's causing these transphobic messages to pop up in the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
So they're just kind of like a nasty rider bonus to the attack on the servers as well of bringing the servers down. So it sounds like they're taking them down to make them more secure and to keep pieces of shit from, you know, uh, yeah. spewing their hate on to what's like one of the most innocuous fucking games. Yeah, I, I think this is the weirdest part about this is that it's Little Big Planet, right? Yeah. Not, not like Sackboy's Big Adventure that just came out, but the original 2008 PlayStation 3 game servers are getting hacked like this. And and what the actual fuck is wrong with this shithead? It's one guy. I, I, I'm like, I don't know. I, I wouldn't do that. Right? Because I mean, I'm like, that sounds like an awful lot of consequence for no reward. Yeah. But. I mean, and like, just, I'm going to say it. If you're a transphobe, you're a fucking ass face. Fuck you. But you know what? Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Just let people be who they are, you shit face. Dick cock Took penis. the words right out of my mouth. Yeah. You dick cock penis. <laughs> you dick cock penis. <laughs> we'll uh, have to drink for the greatest insult ever created. Right here, live on Drink to the Past. Mm. Drink to that. Alright, so, away from dick cock penises for a second. Metro Exodus has become the first PC game to support the DualSense controller with haptic feedback and adaptive trigger compatibility. I thought this was kind of neat, because I have me one of these DualSense controllers, and I have me a PC, but I don't have me a Metro Exodus. And, uh, I, I like, am vaguely aware of the game. I don't know. Because I, I remember I went to pick up something, and... Uh, like, there was a whole buttload of people at GameStop at the time that this came out. I think I went to pick up Rage 2, and there was a bunch of people there, and I was like, oh man, Rage 2 is super popular, isn't it? I didn't realize it was this popular, and, and everybody else in the entire building was there to get Metro Exodus, and I was literally, I think, like, one of two guys that pre-ordered Rage 2 at that GameStop, <laughs> and I was like, oh... Okay, so I, it was, like, ridiculously popular at that time, but it was so weird because I had heard, like, nothing about this game, and, like, since then I've seen, like, very few advertisements for it even, but, like, at GameStop, right when it came out, it was the hottest shit. <laughs> and it's, like, anyways, yeah. So I I think this is kind of neat that PC games are, are supporting the fancy-ass stuff in the dual sense now. What do you think of that? The uh I mean, I'm I'm happy to see more PC support for controllers. I feel like PC support for controllers other than the Xbox controller or like Xbox controller derivatives have been lacking for a long time. Yeah. Uh so it's nice to see uh games actually uh taking a advantage and letting people use their fucking controllers yeah because everything is usb now so right yeah and as speaking as somebody who has a buttload of different controllers for different stuff i feel like getting more use out of your controllers is always a good thing um i have 
a uh, like I've I've used several different controllers on my PC because Steam is compatible with like most controllers. So anything I buy on Steam, if it's controller compatible, it's just like yeah, whatever controller you're using, it works. But it doesn't always support things natively like motion controls or like haptic feedback and stuff like that. And even like on like Switch. Like, barely anybody uses the haptic feedback functions in their games on Switch. Not Some developers are more keen to using motion controls on Switch, uh, but then, like, you go to, like, PS4, and the PS4 controller had motion controls. Now the PS5 does as well. Uh, but, like, I the only two games I know of that used motion controls were The Last of Us and The Last of Us Part 2. And literally all it was was you shake the controller to charge up your flashlight. And I'm like, th these controllers are so fucking fancy, but nobody's using them. And like, after I played Splatoon 2 with motion controls, I feel like that's just the right way to play shooters now. And I'm like... Why don't shooters just incorporate motion controls all the time? Uh, and Because it, it feels great in other shooters that have them now, too. Doom on Switch has motion controls. Uh, the Last of Us Part Two added them later uh, on PS4. Uh, and it's it just feels really natural to use that kind of motion control, at least to me. And I'm like, for, for forever... This hardware has been here for a whole console generation, and nobody's doing shit with it. So to see just, that maybe somebody's going to do it on PC, maybe that, maybe that's going to start a trend. I think that could be cool. So, so I think, uh, I think motion controls uh, for first-person shooters were always like a better idea than say like joysticks. Uh -huh. But I also got to say, as someone who plays mouse and keyboard PC games a lot of the time. Uh, that uh, the the competition will be tighter than you think on that. Maybe mm. motion controls will win out eventually, but it'll have to wait for a whole generation of gamers to age out, basically. Right. I don't know. I play Halo Online sometimes on my PC, so I know I'm like playing. They've they've now implemented a thing. I haven't played in a little while, but uh, when I was playing on my PC, I like I was like not uncompetitive with a controller versus mostly mouse and keyboard players. And now they have a thing where it like, it matches you with mouse and keyboard players between Xbox or PC. And it mounts you with uh, controller players, depending on what you're using. It'll match you based on that in Halo at least. Uh, but yeah, I, like Halo is a game I feel like would really benefit from motion controls. Um, I saw a video of somebody who remapped some of the, uh, I think it was a Nintendo Life guy, uh, that remapped the controls in, uh, Halo to use the motion controls. Because through Steam you can do that and make it work, but it's like, that's like more hassle than I want to do. <laughs> you just want to have I just it want supported. Halo to just, yeah, like, hey, you can use motion work. controls. Uh... Which would be hilarious because the current only one of <laughs> Xbox is the one of the current three, you know, big three console makers that doesn't have motion controls in their basic controller. So I feel like that's unlikely, but it would be awesome. Netflix is allegedly in expanding into video games. 
this is a, a rumor that I've seen circulating around. I'm sure if you Google it, you could find a legitimate source uh, or something. I don't know. I didn't find it from any like source that I was like, oh yeah, I need to trust this source. But I saw it like circulating enough like bits of the internet that I thought it was like, yeah, we could go over this rumor. So apparently Netflix is maybe, you know, allegedly planning to start somehow giving you game streaming in addition to movies and TV and stuff. I, I have an idea for what they could call this new service even. Game they could call it Gamefly. Oh. Insanity. Are Netflix and Gamefly actually related? I, I don't think so. They both I, just I, had the same business model, except Gamefly yeah. died when digital distribution happened. Right. I thought Gamefly still existed. I, I'm not uh, sure. Oh, let me... I mean, I haven't heard anything from them. Maybe, maybe they do still exist. Let me mm. let me look them up here. Come on, Google. Yeah, like, they're there. certainly not very popular anymore, but I feel like... I feel like they still are around somewhere. Uh, I, it looks like they're still around. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you could subscribe to Game Pass, and then you wouldn't have to wait for the mail. Yeah. I, I don't know how their business model... Netflix, I feel like, though, is one of the few people that I think that if they, like, really went on in this... They could seriously compete with Xbox in this space, though. Because right now, video game streaming, Xbox has the market cornered. Because they have yeah. a good, solid service. We did it yes or last week. I was streaming Halo. Uh, if you want to go back and listen to that podcast, or even not listen, but just look at me playing Halo from my PC, from some other PC in a warehouse somewhere. You know, I, I was streaming Halo, and it worked on my PC pretty well. It works on my phone pretty well. Uh, the, and, and Stadia is the only, like, almost competitor, but their their service sucks and nobody likes them. And, and I feel like they're going to tank in a year, and it's just going to go away. They're either going to tank in a year or they're going to be on life support because Google has bottomless pockets. That's true. Uh, but, yeah, basically... Microsoft has the entire, that particular corner of the industry covered, and I think if Netflix, like, got some, like, most of the third parties that are already on Game Pass, and then some good, like, maybe original titles or some good exclusives, and they bundled that into just Netflix, like, like, ideally, just with your pre-existing Netflix subscription, it's just now part of it, that would really, really compete really well. But even if it was like, hey, pay five bucks more a month and you get, uh, you know, 100 games on the service, something like that, 200 games on the service, like Xbox, uh, you know, I, I don't think they'd probably start with 200 games on the service, but I bet they could easily build to that like Xbox has. Uh, yeah. I think that Netflix is in a position where they could easily, easily advertise that and easily get everything rolling that they need to to be like the another industry giant in that regard yeah just so long as they actually throw their weight behind it yeah execute it well yeah that's kind of the thing because obviously streaming movies you don't have to have as good of a connection or anything uh 
as as games, it has to run well. But if they can make it run well and have some good games on the service, I could absolutely see it just going insane. Uh, next piece of news and booze, Roger Craig Smith is still going to voice Sonic. We, okay, so I guess he's back for this one. I guess. Um, it's, yeah, so if you remember a month or month and a half ago, I feel like we covered this, that uh, Roger Craig Smith, as well as some of the other voice actors from the Sonic series, had all like said, hey, we're stepping down from our roles. We're not going to reprise. I think it was Amy, Sonic, and Tails' voice actors. Um, but not uh, the guy who plays um, Dr. Robotnik. I'm blanking on all their names right now, except for Roger Craig Smith. But... Um, yeah, uh, they all stepped down, and now Roger Craig Smith has just announced on Twitter that, hey, I'm going to voice Sonic anyway. I think this is kind of random, but it's it's just one of several little pieces of Sonic news today, because there was a Sonic not Nintendo Direct, because it's not Nintendo, but it was totally a Sonic Nintendo Direct. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I think that's neat. You, you have anything to say about uh, Roger Craig Smith? Or should I move on? Let's let's move on. I, right. I got nothing. Right. I like him as Sonic. He's fine. But, yeah. yeah. So, glad to see he's back. Uh, Sonic Colors Ultimate has been announced. It is a remaster of the original coming to Switch, PS4, Xbox One, and PC September 7th. So, I'm kind of actually excited about this. I never played Sonic Colors when it originally came out. Because it came out in the 10-year break I took from Sonic after Sonic 06. Or 11-year or break, I think. Because I, I literally did not touch the Sonic series between Sonic 06 and Sonic Mania. Didn't play a single wow. one. Wow. I, I mean, I, it's not like that was a mistake. Right? Because <laughs> uh... I played Sonic 06 and it made me hate my favorite character. I literally quit in the Knuckles segment, and Knuckles has always been one of my favorite Sonic characters, and I'm like, the fact that I hate playing as my favorite character is like a travesty among travesties. I was like, fuck this game. And I, <laughs> like, I think the only thing that I sort of did, I played a demo of Sonic Heroes back at Kmart. Remember Kmart? Yeah, Kmart used to be a thing. Yeah. It might be a thing in other places in the world. I have no idea. But the one around I, here I, is now just they, a place where hobos hang out. Pretty sure they went completely out of business. Could be. Let's see. They're like a... Oh, yeah, because uh, they were a subsidiary of Sears. Now they're a subsidiary of some other company. Huh. I guess. I guess they never... I guess corporations never really die. They just get bought by other corporations. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much how that works. Um, but yeah, this this actually, like, I watched the trailer and I was like, dude, is Sonic Colors actually really good? Because it looks really fun. The graphics are, are pretty, pretty cool from the trailer. I'm like, I could get on board with this. And, um... There's, uh, yeah, and I, I asked some buddies in Discord, and they were like, actually, yeah, Sonic Colors is one of the 3D Sonic games that's actually generally well-regarded, and I was like, oh, wow, that's pretty cool, that, so I might check is, this out when it comes out. That is also <laughs> what I've heard. Yeah. 
anything else about Sonic Colors, or should I move on to the last Sonic announcement? Let's move on to that last Sonic announcement. All right, the other announcements are uh, technically two. A new Sonic game is in development for release in 2022. Uh, there's also a rumor about that, which has some kind of credibility, that the game will be called Sonic Rangers. Um, but... Uh, I don't know. You can look up that on your own. But anyways, they did confirm that a new Sonic game is in development, will release next year, and they're making a classic collection, uh, which includes Sonic 1, 2, 3, Sonic and & Knuckles, and Sonic CD. So that's actually a pretty solid collection right there, I think. Because uh, it's, it's also only like 40 bucks, and you're getting, what, five games? Reminds me of the uh, Sonic collection on uh, GameCube. Was there one of those? I don't remember that. Yeah. I'll believe uh, it. So, except this one, they're not including some of the weirder Sonic games, but they are including uh, Sonic CD, which I think... I think if I had to trade away, like, Sonic Spinball, uh, Sonic 3D Blast, uh, Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine, uh, I think those are worth trading for Sonic 3D. Sonic CD, not 3D. Alright. Yeah, uh, I, I have not played all of these games. In, I've never played Sonic CD, and I know I've played Sonic 1, and I've played a lot of other 2D Sonic games, but I never really paid attention to what they were called, because I was a kid, and I was just like, sweet, it's Sonic! So, you know. Um... So I've probably played a, a fair number of these other games, but I've never played Sonic CD, so I'm kind of... I, I might get this, too, as just a classic kind of throwback. Um, I'm not sure, because it depends on when it releases and all that. Um, I think Sonic 3 and Sonic and & Knuckles, the combined game of those two, Sonic 3 & Knuckles, I think that was kind of peak Genesis Sonic, kind of where it was, like, at mm -hmm. its best. And then it went downhill from there. Yeah. Uh played the Game Boy Advance one, whatever that one was. That was okay. Uh, let's see. There was the Oh yeah, Sonic Advance. Sonic Advance was okay. I played it. I didn't like it as much. I didn't like the Sonic Advance games as much. Mm -hmm. Anyways, uh, next piece of news and booze. Uh, out of Sonic news, we got a Virtual Fighter 5 Ultimate Showdown announced, which is kind of interesting. Um, it's an enhanced remake by a team of all-star Sega developers, according to the uh, press release, uh, who worked on the original arcade version of Virtual Fighter 5. It's going to release as a digital exclusive to PlayStation 4 on June 1st, so that's coming up pretty quick here. Um, and the last Virtual Fighter game that was released was way the hell back in 2012, was also a was actually just a port of Virtua Fighter 5 for Xbox 360. So... That, that feels like a game kind of out of its time. The whole Virtua Fighter series. Yeah. It's not um, like a... It's funny, because it's like one of those iconic series, but I didn't really think about how long it had been since a Virtua Fighter game had come out. And uh, But yeah, I guess this is going to be... Uh, it's... It, it sounds pretty neat. Um, I liked Virtua Fighter... I think the last Virtua Fighter I played was 4 on PlayStation 2. 
So I don't think I ever played Virtua Fighter Five. I'm, maybe I did. Maybe I did. That sounds. I don't know. I really have no idea. <laughs> but I, I, I had a lot of fun with Virtua Fighter Four, and it had actually a pretty good character creator at the time. I remember that was so that was pretty cool and pretty good fighting game stuff. Uh, I remember I didn't like it as well at the time as Soul Calibur Two was kind of its contemporary, but it was it was like. Other than that, it was one of the most fun fighting games I had at the time. Although in the PS2, we got the collections of uh, King of Fighters. There was a ton of King of Fighters games, and I, I really liked those too. So, I don't know. It was it was one of those fighting games that I came around uh, in the PS2 generation, and it was pretty fun. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it was kind of neat. Anything else on that? Dragon Quest 3 is getting an HD 2D remake, which is literally what they call... I think the, the, the official title of it is Dragon Quest 3 HD 2D Remake, which is just a wacky-ass title. But apparently it's runs in the Octopath Traveler engine, is what I read. And I think that's a weird thing to say, because Octopath Traveler runs in Unreal Engine. Um, so I don't know if that's, like, referring to the combat system or just the fact that, like, they took a lot of cues from it. If you look at the trailer, it really looks a lot visually like it's taking a lot of cues from Octopath Traveler and Project Triangle Strategy, uh, where it's it kind of got that sprite feel, but in a 3D space, which is really cool. It may cool. be using some of the things built on top of Unreal Engine that Octopath Traveler used. Or it might just be marketing buzz. Hard to say. Right, yeah. It's like, that's a weird thing to say. Because it's like, you boot up Octopath Traveler, and the first thing it says is like, Square Enix. And then the second thing it says is Unreal Engine. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, uh, I love fucking Octopath Traveler, obviously. We've talked about that on the show here plenty. Um, so, I'm like, this actually looks kind of neat. Uh, I've never been really big into the Dragon Quest games, but... Uh, I think a retro style might actually be a better way to get into it than because I the first Dragon Quest game I tried was 11. I tried the demo on Switch and it's I thought it was so weird because everybody loves this game, but I thought it was actually just pretty boring as shit. Um, I think the Dragon Quest games are liked a lot better in Japan. Mm-hmm. But it's like, I feel like even a lot of Americans talk very highly of, of Dragon Quest Eleven specifically. Uh, so I was, like, expecting really good things. And it's, like, mechanically, I feel like it's a Super Nintendo JRPG, right? It didn't feel like it brought anything new to the table that wasn't, like, standard 25 years ago. And I was like... This is this fine, and and I I just didn't love the story. I didn't love the characters either. So it was like I think mechanically it wasn't like bad, but it was like whatever. I've played you know this, but in Dragon a retro Quest. style, I think it might it, it might work better. And it I don't might. Know. Uh, Dragon Quest. I always looked at those games, and they always seemed kind of. I'm gonna get crucified for this, but they always seemed kind of like a generic. JRPG because they were among the first JRPGs or even the first JRPG. Right, yeah, they uh, were. And know, it's like, then. oh, they, they established a lot of those fundamental uh, mm -hmm. tropes. 
like yeah. I think there's merit to that, but at the same time, I feel like not moving past them in 2018, whenever that game came out, you know, I feel like that's a problem. If, you know, all you have is the tropes that you invented 30 years ago. It's, um, you can still see a lot of those tropes just being played completely straight in, like, a lot of anime. Yeah. Uh, which, which kind of gets me. I'm like, don't... I, I was like, yeah, there's something to be said for the classics, but don't you guys want to riff on things eventually? Mm -hmm. It's kind of... Or, or don't you want to, like, mix it up a little? Yeah, I tried to get so into Demon Slayer the last uh, couple of weeks because a lot of people have told me Demon Slayer was really good. And uh, I, that was one of the biggest criticisms I have for it is the protagonist is literally just a generic shonen anime protagonist guy he's like every other one but like i feel like my favorite shonen animes like one piece and dragon ball they they all like they have that same protagonist but they give him some kind of quirk so he's slightly more interesting right like well it's like dragon ball kind of gets away with it because it's kind of the shonen anime yeah it's kind that's of another one that really all of them come know, from yeah, Dragon Ball Basically, is Basically, Akira, Akira Toriyama invented, like, a lot of Japanese tropes, and, yeah. uh, now if everyone's If the trope starts <laughs> there, then you are forgiven, right? If you... Yeah. You know, it's, it's like I say about, you know, uh, Zelda sometimes inventing things that are now, like, just cliche in in other video games you know if you start a cliche then you are revolutionary yeah um, and and that so it's always you always have the the genre creator or like the genre codifier or whatever mm -hmm. and then you have like notable like entries in the genre that are like better than average or pretty good yeah. uh, and then you have like the you eventually get to what is it it's like the deconstruction Mm -hmm. And that's wh I think that's where My Hero Academia comes in. Hmm. We're gonna is uh it definitely takes a lot of shonen tropes and takes them to their logical conclusion and then wraps it up and then kind of explains them in a way so you still get a good story out of it. Yeah, because I like My Hero Academia. Um, with um that one, like still Deku is like that generic shonen protagonist, but he's also kind of a super nerd. And so he's got yeah. that going for him. He's always muttering to himself. He's always taking notes. And it's, you know, just these little character quirks that, you know, differentiate him just enough to be an interesting character instead of the main guy in Demon Slayer who's just like, I'm happy all the time for no reason. I'm positive about everything. It'll be fine. And you're just he's like, got, shut up. Kill some he's demons. Got the uh, character of a cardboard cutout. Also, I feel like that show puts in exactly enough gore to get a TVMA rating and no more. And it's like, Not, just, uh -oh. if you're gonna be a gory anime, fucking be a gory anime. Speaking of gory anime, I guess we could talk about um, Miura is the uh, author and We should illustrator. talk about the death of the author of Berserk. Yeah, uh, that guy. You ever do get into Berserk at all? Uh, I watched the old anime, not mm -hmm. the one that, not the more recent one with the 3D animation, but like the yeah. 90s anime. That yeah, 
that's kind of where I, I got into it. Uh, and then I read like a tiny bit of the manga, which picks up kind of where the anime leaves off. Uh, so it was pretty cool. And then I got into uh, the new ones. Uh, they've got, because they basically, the three movies they have are remakes or, or collectively are a remake of the 90s anime. And then from there, uh, they started a new uh, series that picks up where the manga picks up from the original. So uh, then they, uh, I think that was on Funimation for a while, but now it's not. So I haven't actually been able to watch it. Uh, but the the movies are pretty good. And it's like, if you liked Berserk, then definitely check out either version of it. Uh, it's just a fantastic anime, and so many video games, so many anime draw from that that you don't even realize, and, and I feel like nobody talks about Berserk enough, so go check out uh, Berserk. Uh, so what rest I, in peace, Miura-san. What I've heard from the people that are nerdier than me is they say, neither anime does it justice, you gotta read the manga. Which is funny, because I actually really liked the that original anime, so... Yeah. Manga's got to be even better, and now it's not going to ever be complete. So that's just yeah. a shame. Um, I've heard that uh, somebody is going to complete it based on his uh, like notes and stuff, kind of like Christopher Tolkien did with uh, his father's work and, and completed some more of those uh, Lord of the Rings lore books and stuff like that. So... Uh, don't quote me on that, but I heard that, and I, I would be very interested if, if that all happens. But yeah, I'm, just, I'm like, I haven't read any manga in a long-ass time, so <laughs> maybe that's going to be my next one. I'll have to get into Berserk. It'll be awesome. Last piece of news and booze is Pokemon release dates. Sinnoh remakes are coming out November 19th. Pokemon Legends Arceus is coming out January 28th, so actually, surprisingly, not that far away from each other. Um, November is like a normal time to release a Pokemon game, so no big surprise. Uh... It's almost more surprising that it wasn't, like, fucked up and delayed because of COVID. So I'm glad to see that those are coming out. I'm in the camp that actually likes the Sinnoh remake graphics. Uh, what about you, Chris? Have you watched uh, the stuff about them? I have not seen the Sinnoh remake graphics. Mm -hmm. I'm going to take a quick look at those. They're I did very divisive because I feel like they draw just enough from the, uh, like, original DS graphics to be, like, endearing in their own way. But a lot of people are just, like, just don't want to have it. They're just like, nope. Oh, like they're it. they're upset that it's okay. I'm looking at screenshots of it, and I'm like, it's very uh very the overworld sprites or the overworld models are very chibi. Yeah. Uh, and I'm like, I don't hate it. It's not Pokemon's always been kind of you know cutesy. Mm -hmm. Uh. So and that's kind of what the sprites look like in the original game. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I can understand why it might bother somebody, but I, I'm like, I'm fine with it. Yeah. Um, and uh, Pokemon Legends, of course, is the one that I'm way more excited about because it, it looks to be like Pokemon finally expanding what Pokemon could be after, you know, however fucking long. Because uh, that is actually going to be like this big old open world game where you can actually interact with Pokemon in the wild. They'll just be, it's like the wild area from Sword and Shield, but it's the whole fucking world. And I think that's incredible. I'm like, why have they not done this before? And uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about that one. Um, you actually played Gen 4, so are you excited about uh, the remakes and or Pokemon Legends? 
because they're both uh, obviously the remakes are based on Gen 4 and uh, Pokemon Legends is uh, basically set in the Sinnoh region like 400 years before or some such uh, so it's still like Gen 4 adjacent what are your Pokemon thoughts Legends is the one that I have holds my interest more because uh -huh. I feel like I, this is what time does to you. I played through uh, Pokemon Platinum. Is that what it was? Back in college, but and uh, I had I had my fill of that. So I'm I'm like I I kind of would want to retread it, but it's also a game that I've already played and invested a bunch of hours in, and also had created hacked Pokemon. <laughs> I remember uh, that, so. because I remember you were like, we were talking about it one day, and you were like, yeah, we could have a Pokemon battle, this would be sweet. And I'm like, alright, sweet. And I thought you were trolling me, because your first Pokemon was a fucking Magikarp. I'm like, what? Okay, this will be easy, whatever. You and your troll team, Chris. And then, and it really was a troll team, because it used, like, the Ho-Oh exclusive holy fire move, and just, like, fucked up whatever guy I had. And I was like, what the shit? <laughs> you fucking killed all my team with a fucking holy fire Magikarp. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I, I had to. I, I put that guy in there specifically just to fuck with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. All right, uh, so I'm excited about it because I never played Pokemon Gen Four, uh, so I am excited about both of these. Uh, specifically, uh, the. Well, specifically both of them, but I think more so Pokemon Legends because, you know, you know how I am with open world games just in general, and to see how uh, much it seems to be expanding on what Pokemon can be, I'm I'm just really excited about that, so. You, um, you played it, you played Gen 4 just a little bit, right? I, I played um, Soul Silver. Which was Gen Four, oh, oh. but it was it it was the remake of Gen Two that came out in Gen Four. So I had all the Gen Four Pokemon and mechanics, but it was still Silver for story and all that. So I've never really right, seen right, the right. story of Gen Four, and I've never seen most like there's uh it it's it it feels like the biggest gap in my Pokemon knowledge base. Whenever I see a Pokemon and I don't know what it is, it's almost always from Gen 4 because that was one of the gens I skipped. I skipped Gen 3 and 4 because in middle school I was like, ah, no, I'm too big and cool for Pokemon. That's for babies. And then in high school I was just like, what a fucking idiot I was. I'm going to play Pokemon. It's fun. I don't give a shit anymore. So, <laughs> stupid. Yeah, it, I feel like that's just a normal thing yeah. you go through. Everybody like, has oh, a phase. I'm too cool for this. And you're like, no, you're not. Shut up. Yeah, <laughs> like, Kid. shut up, middle school me, you're an idiot. But, uh, yeah, so I, I never really got to do that. I played the Gen 3 remakes, and now I'll play the Gen 4 remakes. So that'll be that'll be pretty cool. Uh, and with that, we'll get into our table topic.
So, the table topic this week will be postponed for five seconds while I talk about my beer. Uh, so today's beer of the week is Bigfoot Barley Wine from Sierra Nevada, which is a really good brewery just in general. They make a bunch of good stuff. They're out in California somewhere in the middle of the Sierra Nevada desert brewing beer for all those poor people that live in the Sierra Nevada desert. I assume. I really have no fucking clue other than it's in California somewhere. But, uh... Yeah, so uh, I got a six-pack of this, and I put a couple because it, it uh, suggests to potentially save it for other years. Uh, and I was like, that's a good idea. I'll bottle condition a couple of these. So uh, I will come back to these in a few years if the podcast goes on that long, uh, which I like drinking, so it might. Um, yeah, um, so let's get into the beer. Mm-hmm. Hmm. It was pretty good. Longer than five seconds. Yeah, as estimated five seconds, your mileage may vary. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, this here Bigfoot is, is pretty good. It's uh, kind of a little caramely, a little hoppier than I expect from a uh, barley wine. But I would... sort of works. Typically... Expect a, uh... Yeah, it's not, like, ridiculously hoppy, but it's, like, got enough hops kind of pushing through the the malt profile that it's, like, huh. It's, uh... It's an interesting combo. Um, it's... kind of reminiscent of, um... Stone Brewery's IPA, in a weird way, because Stone Brewery's IPA... Uh, well, one of them. I think it's their regular IPA, because they make a crap load of different styles of IPA. But um, one of their IPAs I had, I think is just their regular stone IPA, is uh, like very malty and not as hoppy as a lot. So it, it, it kind of hits that balance that is uncharacteristic of an IPA, because usually they're way towards the hop end, and also uncharacteristic of a barley wine, because usually they're way toward the malt end. So... It's a really interesting beer. Um, that's pretty good. Hmm. All right. Uh, table topic today is uh, about whether or not you plan the end of a campaign and uh, should PCs be able to alter the ending by how they interact with the world. Um, so I, I think both of us, like, loosely plan the end of a campaign as we're designing it is is that would you agree there i think that's mostly fair the vast majority of my campaigns have uh i have some distant idea of how they'll end but i would call it a what 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 would you call it It, i would call it a like an open ending where it's like you get to like the big uh ending but you can continue playing if you want right is the way i would normally intend to do things. Uh-huh. Uh, not, not that it works out that way. Like, it, like my last big campaign I ran uh, did not at all end how I had initially planned it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was, like, a good ending, and I was like, yeah, I, I was happy with where it ended, and I said, all right, I'm gonna, gonna wrap it up on this one and figure out something new to start. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I guess... It, it, what is it? Uh, 
I, I guess I'll I pass it back to you and also ask, uh, when do you plan it? Do you plan it before you start running, or do you plan it like kind of in the middle of the campaign, or what? Kind of depends on the campaign, because a lot of times when I plan a campaign before I start, I don't really think about how it'll end. I really kind of just imagine the in the idea of the campaign conceptually, like what will the theme of the campaign be? Uh, mechanically, will I focus more on combat or exploration or role play or you know how I want to handle that uh, and and kind of the world building uh, and usually somewhere in building the world, I come up with how the players will fit into the story in the beginning. Uh, and sometimes I have an idea of how it might end based on that, but also player characters very rarely do what you expect them to do. So usually I don't like have a solid idea of an ending. Sometimes I really don't have any specific intention of ending at all. Like, if we get to a point where I would just be out of story content, then I would end it, obviously. Um, if I couldn't think of anything that I could justify putting into the story to extend it or put a, a nice cap on it to have it have a real ending. Um, so in general, I don't really plan the ending much, but sometimes, depending on the campaign and depending on, like, especially if it's, like, a high-stakes campaign... Uh, like my Ragnarok campaign, uh, then a lot of times I've got an idea in the back of my mind of like, okay, what are they pushing towards? What will that affect in the world? And I, I have like an, a loose idea of what the ending could be there. But again, like players get in my way, <laughs> so to speak. And, and and throw a wrench in my plans just by being player characters. You know, they have a different idea of what's going on and how to how they should react to it than I ever expect. So that's one of the joys of being a DM is that you just get to see what kind of wacky bullshit they're going to come up with. And, you know, you just kind of have to roll with it at some point. Uh, and, and that counts on the micro scale when you're in the session as well as on the macro scale when you're like okay they did this crazy out of nowhere left field thing and the entire world is affected by it what the fuck you know sometimes that happens in in that kind of a situation in that kind of campaign yeah i would i would say there's nothing that it's kind of hard to think of anything better than the players uh, taking your plans and and in a good way, in like a positive, constructive way, being like, we're going to do this thing that makes it so that everything that you thought was going to happen takes a hard 90-degree turn to the left, mm -hmm. and now totally different things are going to happen. Uh-huh. Uh, that happened in my last game, and it happened... Fairly early on. Hmm. Uh, and I, I wouldn't say that... I, I It went in a different direction. The, the whole game went in a different direction than I originally would have expected it to. Mm -hmm. uh, not that I was trying to say, oh, here's the direction to go, but... Uh, mm -hmm. 
many things happened that were unexpected uh, that ultimately did not lead to any sort of conclusion that I thought would have been a more natural conclusion when I started running the game. Yeah. So, if the PCs, like, throw a wrench in your plan like they always do, um, does that ever affect the ending? If you if you have, like, th this idea of how the campaign should end in your mind, and the PCs do something totally different, like, are you going to find a way to make the ending work, or are you going to just change the ending completely? Uh, I'm just going to change... Uh, I feel like there's only... And you you can argue with me if you want about mm -hmm. this. I feel like this is kind of where we're doing the best, but I feel like there's only one correct answer to this, and it's you let the PC's actions affect the world as they should, and if that leads to something completely different than when you expected, that's... The, that is the mark they get to leave on the game because it's not just your game; it's also their game. Yeah, like, I you're think the that's guy. a good way to put it. Yeah, um, I would say that it is situational, though, because obviously it depends on the scale of like how much they do affect the world with yes. whichever particular action, right? Like if you're like they're on the path to literally the final boss of the game and they take a detour somewhere, then eventually you can just give them another plot hook that's like, hey, the final boss is in this cast, you know, wherever the fuck the final yeah. boss is, you know, something like that, and and still have the it's same like ending. Guy, or sometimes, you know, the, you know, theoretically, in most cases, the ending of a campaign will be somehow killing the big bad evil guy. And if they go somewhere totally different and do something totally different, the big bad evil guy is still probably out there, and maybe you'll have a different scenario in which they have to fight him. But I don't think that it necessarily dictates, like, changing the ending. If you have a good ending that still makes sense, you know, sometimes they will do something story-related that will make your ending not possible. I think that would be fine. You know, like, if they finally come to the big bad evil guy and, like you know, like, go Avatar on his ass and somehow, like, steal all of his powers from him, right? Then then maybe you can't have the same ending. You know, something like, sorry, spoilers for season three of Avatar, but uh, it's been long yeah, enough. I mean, if, it, if you haven't watched Avatar already... You're probably not gonna, right? Like, you should, but having it spoiled for you shouldn't, you know, spoil it for you, if you know what I mean. You should watch the show even if you know the ending. It's a good show. Yeah, pretty but, good. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm like, it's there, there's like detours and shit that the players want to do that doesn't really affect like the structure of like the game world, I guess. Yeah, where it's like, yeah, it's oh, you see this dungeon over here? They want to like explore this whole dungeon that's kind of irrelevant to like whatever is big going on in the game world. It's like, yeah, why why not? They can they can do that. And, yeah. Or it's, it's like, like when when you them. put the players in a pub for the first time and you're like, there's a dark, mysterious, cloaked figure in the corner eyeing you from afar. You know, and, and you, you go into all this detail about he's smoking his pipe, he's, he's checking you out, looking you up and down, making inventory of all your equipment mentally, and uh, the players are like, who else is in the bar? And you're just like, I don't know, a goblin named Wayne. They're like, we're going to talk to Wayne the goddamn goblin. <laughs> So I just thought of something. Uh-huh. 
Uh, I just thought my current campaign, I remember having uh, a lot of... It, kind of the opposite thing, actually, is that mm-hmm. I was like, okay, if they get involved in this particular plot line, this would probably be, like, the natural conclusion of the campaign. But chances are they're just going to want to do, like, player character stuff, and I'm happy to, like, let them do that in, like, this world that yeah. uh, I made. And mm-hmm. then... Uh, the very first thing that happens is the player character chooses to be, uh, chooses pro- probably like the exact character build that would get involved in that plot line. Uh-huh. I was like, okay, that's that's the quest is you gotta go do that. So now they are. I was expecting them to go off the go off the sides a bit, and instead they're kind of running straight down the middle. So that kind of a funny inversion. Huh. Interesting how that happens. Yeah. I was hoping you'd get my legendary frog reference. Oh. I missed it. Where was it? Wayne the Goblin. Wayne the Goblin? Yeah. Shout out to Legendary Frog. The last thing I remember from Legendary Frog was a... A plan. Dental plan. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Pie day. <laughs> That's pie good. day is self-control. <laughs> Don't you eat this pie. Yeah, no. It wasn't a Kerrigan. Uh, it was one of these uh, Lord of the Rings ones where it's like Sauron hung out with Wayne the Goblin. And uh, and it was it was funny. Go check out Legendary Frog. He's, he's pretty cool. Does he still exist? Is all his stuff on YouTube now because Flash doesn't exist anymore? Uh, it's still probably on Newgrounds because... You know, Newgrounds is a uh, Newgrounds is still around. Newgrounds is eternal. It never stopped existing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Legendary Frog has a website, and the first thing it says on the website is like, "Welcome to LegendaryFrog.com." Yes, I'm still around. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Go check him in. Uh, so, anyways, back to. Uh, table topicking yeah so let's see uh i would say i'm like unless your world's like uh this thing is going to destroy the world plot Mm -hmm. uh unless it's got that going on generally the world's big enough that you can have any number of plot lines where it's like oh yeah they might be involved in this one thing but then they might Decide, you know what? Fuck it. We're gonna, we we got some mustard seeds. We're gonna take them and sell them in this desert, uh, where mustard doesn't grow, and make a shitload of money. And then they'll have all sorts of adventures along the way. Uh, and then they'll like get there and deal with the problems there, and just forget about whatever was going on in the place they were originally from. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, just kind of that organic development is kind of the essence of D and D to me. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I would not want to trade that away. And if that means changing the plans for your game, or whatever sort of ending or like spectrum of endings and like plot threads and whatever you envision, uh, I feel like that's worthwhile. Yeah. So when you're planning, do you ever, like, have an idea for multiple endings depending on what the players might do or anything like that? 
yes. I typically have a white. I typically have a range of if I'm picturing a certain endpoint. I typically have a range of uh, what could happen at that endpoint to affect the world mm -hmm. uh, that the players could change to do. So in my last game, had they gone the original ending, they would either the endpoint either would have been leave the thing alone and just be like, all right, that's dangerous, leave it alone, and just go adventure elsewhere. Right. That would have been kind of an ending, or it would have been open it up and let's fight it, and if we win, we kill it permanently, and if we lose, uh, the world's basically destroyed. Right. Uh, Try not to and, destroy well, the world. And ultimately, that is, none of those happened because they went and fought a completely different big bad evil thing. Uh-huh. Uh, which made for a more natural ending. Yeah, for me, like, it's it's weird, because I don't always have a definite ending, like, at all. And when I do have, like, an idea of what I expect, how it'll end, I, I still don't really think of it as a solid end point, you know? I, I always, like, have an idea of where the story will probably culminate, and then... But I've never actually got there. I've never DM'd a campaign that ended... <laughs> So yeah, it's, that's true. It's so it's a weird thing from my perspective to come up with endings for the campaigns that I've run over time because I have ideas of what I think the ending will be, uh, and sometimes they shift over the course of the campaign. Like, oh, the PCs decided to side with this person instead of this person. Now they're going through a little differently, and uh you know that's that's all well and good it it makes for interesting world building and interesting interaction with the characters that i create i i, I dig it uh but i've never actually had that payoff of like okay here's the last session of the game right you're, you're fighting the big bad evil guy finally i've never i've never actually had a group take a campaign through to the end because we always get distracted with a different campaign or or stop playing together for several months because there's a pandemic or something. Uh, that's over a year now. Yeah. Hey, but, we're actually gonna meet in person tomorrow. Yeah, holy shit, right? Everybody's all vaccinated and shit, so it's, it's like yeah. sweet. We get to actually play D and D. Holy fuck. Holy shit. Yeah. So uh, you've never you've never ended a game. So you've never had the experience of actually, like, seeing that come to fruition, you know, yeah. not come to fruition, or go in a completely weird, different direction? Technically, I ended a one-shot once with a TPK. Uh, you know what? That's fine. That's an ending. Yeah. TPKs are an ending. So, <laughs> I think the party was you and another buddy of ours way the hell back when, when, uh, I made a, like... And I, I don't know, I feel like somebody challenged me to make, like, a 20th level player killer challenge that they s were, like, able to make, a, you know, some sort of build that could take care of anything. And uh, I made a, a player killer boss for 20th level that had all sorts of crazy-ass abilities. It was, like, a triple-classed Merilith or something that had, like, shitloads of attacks per round and cleric spells and sorcerer spells up to ninth level casting <laughs> so it's like 
Yeah. I think you outlived the other guy, though, because you kept polymorphing into shit to reset your hit points. Yeah, because the 3.5 peak change was stupid and reset your hit points to whatever your form was every time you used it, and you could use it once per round as a reaction. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, eventually I ended up dying because uh, it was definitely a player killer boss. But that was, a, that was like a fight. Yeah. That was like that was that was like a fight. That was less a one shot, and it was more like let's let's test these builds out. Yeah, <laughs> it was a it was a decent fight. Is uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I guess it wasn't really a like I guess you could call it a one shot still, sort of. I don't know. Yeah. How do you define one shot? Uh, I so I truth be told, uh, outside of like that fight, I have never run a, like, D&D-ish one-shot that only went for one session. It's always, like, ballooned up in size to, like, two or three. I've never played in one either. Because uh, it's I like... I feel like we oh, you ex- did one once. Back uh, at your place, way back in the day, with a group of ours that we couldn't decide on what campaign to play, so we created characters for a one-shot that you looked up online and we... Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, I remember that. Yeah. Yes, okay, I was and, and wrong. I think we all played two characters, so I had, like, a, 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 a crazy guy with double shields that was just a giant wall of AC, and my other character was, like, a sniper that, like, hid behind him and just fucked up people with a bow. <laughs> the unstoppable uh, force and the immovable object. So it was, I did... I think one-shots are also easier to have a predefined ending for because it's like, you begin but the end's already kind of in sight. Yeah, because it's Like, it's much, not hard to... You're basically, a one-shot is just you starting in the final dungeon. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever dungeon may mean, you know, because sometimes it's a dungeon and sometimes it's, you know like a, a battlefield or some crazy shit or a town where you have to figure out all the shit anywho um yeah so anything else to say on that um i think we've got largely our opinions out there about uh how that all works yeah <clears throat> all right our video game topic theme song so that means we have to go into our video game topic which is all about 
endings. Imagine that. The topics are related again. So uh, this one is about uh, multiple endings in video games and whether or not that's a good thing. What are your general thoughts, Chris? Like, I prefer, okay, as a matter of taste, I prefer multiple endings in games. I prefer modular endings. The more endings, the better. The more your choices impact the world around you, the more of an impact I feel like I've had on the game fun I get out, out of it. Right. Uh, but on, like, are they an unvarnished good thing? Uh, not necessarily. I think some linear games, it makes sense for there to be a single ending. That's kind of it. Yeah. And I'm like, I, I don't, I don't feel like that's a bad thing. And I don't, and in sometimes cases, I don't think an extra ending is going to add anything of value. Right. Um, it's, so, I like multiple endings, but are they a good thing for every game? Not necessarily. Yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of in the same boat. I'm not as positive on mu multiple endings as you. Like, I, I like them sometimes. I think they have their place. Um, you know, I liked going out of my way to get the multiple endings in, like, Tales of Symphonia, um, if I had been a little bigger into Final Fantasy VII and managed to beat it, like, when it was popular, uh, I probably would have gone back and got some of those multiple endings and stuff like that. Um, you know, for those big grand games, uh, some, something about having multiple endings is just kind of neat to me, you know, that the, the lore isn't necessarily a solid, immovable thing. It's, it's depends on, you know, the way you go through the game, or, or whatever, or you can do slight things to change the outcome, or stuff like that. Uh, and I think it comes back to something you said in our table topic, is that sometimes the game is not just the DM story, it's the player's story. In, in tabletops, that's always true. And in video games, I feel like that's sometimes true. Because sometimes, like yeah. you said, especially in a linear game, sometimes the story is just the story. You get what you get. The developers and the story writers and everything have a story that they are presenting to you through a game. And sometimes it's more affected by what you do in the game. And I, I think, uh, depending on how the game is designed, that really kind of changes whether or not multiple endings really is a good thing. Yeah, and now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, okay, A, do we think visual novels are video games? Yeah, I think visual novel okay. counts as like a, a genre so a video game. I do know most visual novels. I'm thinking specifically of like the Phoenix Wright games here. I'm like, most of those games have a single ending, and it's uh -huh. either you game over or you get that single ending. A game over is not really like an ending. Um, the second game had a bad ending that you could get by doing the wrong thing at uh, in the final case. Uh, but I'm now thinking to myself, other than it being kind of a weird thing and having a hilarious mistranslation, the last line of the ending, uh, hmm. <laughs> I'm, I'm 
I'm thinking to myself, did it really add anything to the game? Was was it was it good that it was there? Like in Siri, it's supporting player choice, but it's like, oh, someone would be like, if they found out about it, they would be like, oh, I get to see the bad ending, so I guess I'll see that first, and then I'll reload my save and I'll go do the thing that gets me the good end. Right. Uh, I'm like, so in that case, I feel like it was like I don't hate the existence of that bad ending. That's it's a bad thing, but I'm like, I also felt like if the game didn't have it, it wouldn't be worse off. Yeah. Um, let's see. It's like, most JRPGs have a single ending. And uh, multiple endings to a game that's fairly linear in design always feels kind of weird to me. Uh, um, yeah, because like in Tales of Symphonia, it's it's largely a linear game. You know, you you have open, explorable areas, but in the end, like you go to this dungeon and then to this town and then to the next dungeon and then to the next town and then to the next du- and so forth until you're done. Uh, and the way to unlock the second ending is literally like you choose a different dialogue option in like the third to last cutscene or something. And it's not really that much of a different ending, it's just yeah. it's basically like oh, do you have this party member or this party member at the end? And also, do you have this sense of like sadness and feeling betrayed or not? Yeah. I've mostly uh, <laughs> forgotten what happened at the ending. It's been so long since I actually beat that game. Uh, but yeah. That kind of thing, I, I get what you're saying, definitely, is, like, it, it almost feels out of place in that kind of a game. Um, whereas something that's a bit more open... Like, Final Fantasy VII, I think you could say the same thing, because basically, you go dungeon to town to dungeon to town, but I feel like there's more in between areas to, like, just investigate in Final Fantasy VII than there are in Tales of Symphonia. The world yeah. feels more open. The world, and in Final Fantasy VII, it still has just that single ending. There's a lot of like solid plot points, you know, the ones that you can't really change. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, I wouldn't say it feels out of place, but it also feels like mm-hmm. they could have changed things a bit there. Yeah. Uh, but then you get games like, what is it? Um, Skyrim, where the game's all about being non-linear and going wherever you want, but right. the ending is exactly the same, no matter what. Yeah, uh, and it feels and that's one of have, my like, problems with Skyrim's design in general. Not that it's like a bad game or anything. It's 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 a yeah. good game, but like a a nick against it, in my opinion, is that the world is open, but it does not matter at all like yeah you go to town to town in in any order but it doesn't matter because then like once you've been there you never have to explore back the other way again because you can just fast travel and you gain literally nothing by venturing off the path at any point ever i mean you gain like i guess like shitty loot and stuff in certain uh... areas but like most places off the path in skyrim just aren't useful 
Because the paths are so close together in general that there's just not enough space to have anything good there. Because yeah. I, th I think the problem is that they put in enough content for, like, a game world that was twice as big. But the game world was not twice as big, and it just... Everything feels really close together. Especially on a replay, after playing, like, Breath of the Wild or something, everything feels, like, claustrophobic. Like, I feel like I'm running into a new town or something, like, too often when I play that game anymore. Yeah, it's, uh... It's everything's close together because they never want you to be bored even for a moment. Mm -hmm. but, uh, um, I don't it, think you've but, played Near Automata, have you? I I have not. That or, is a game I've heard good things yeah, about. Or the other Near. Now uh, Near yeah. Replicant is out now. The uh, remake of the first one. So I've been meaning to get into that, but I haven't yet. But Near Automata has an interesting take on multiple endings because basically the game is like. It's like eight or nine hours long. It's it's a pretty short game. And kind of the point of it being short is to go on New Game Plus and replay and do things a little bit differently. So this game has like 15 endings or something. And each one of them is different enough to give you a, an interesting idea of like the lore and the world building. Uh, what do you think about that kind of approach for multiple endings? The near the near and near automata multiple endings approach where it's at least automata does that i haven't played uh, replicant so i'm not 100 percent sure i assume it but does something similar. I, I think that's like uh the game creator's kind of signature is you get an ending then you play some more and you get another ending that reveals something more so right. in to some respect in some respect you're um it kind of is one ending but it takes much longer to get to Right. Uh, but, so I'm like, it, it kind of stretches the definition of ending. Yeah. So, it makes me think, I was like, and I guess based on what I've heard, I would assume that if I were to play through it, I would like it. Like, I would think it was a good thing. But, having not played through it, I couldn't, I can't say. Right. Like, like it, 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 it appeals to me intellectually. Yeah. Sounds like something I would like. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm like, is it a single ending or a multiple, or is it multiple endings? And I'm kind of more of a coming from the, it, it sounds like it's a single ending to me. It's just you, you have, have to go to through several endings to get to the <laughs> ending, <Yeah. laughs> so to speak. Yeah, you, you, you just get different iterations or you get like more revealed every time you go through yeah so i think it, it's definitely an interesting kind of storytelling but it still mm -hmm. feels like it's a single ending because you're ex because you're expected to go through all of it yeah so i have a a weird experience with this game specifically because i feel like if i had bought this game, I would have got to the first ending and then felt like, okay, I'll go through some more times, get some more endings to justify my purchase, so to speak. Because I want to get, like, if I buy a game, I want to get, like, a lot out of it if I can, you know? I'll, I'll replay it sometimes and all, and all that. And with this game, 
it was one of the first few games I played on Game Pass, and I was like, I got through it, and I was like, well, I have so much other stuff to play on Game Pass, and I didn't pay for it, so I don't feel obligated to come back and experience everything in the game. You know, I was like, I really liked the gameplay, but I'm not sure I want to play through the, you know, all the levels again and again. Because, like, like, they were good, but I feel like it would just feel grindy after a point, maybe. Uh, which, I don't know, maybe it's maybe it changes it up enough in the game to make it work. And obviously, you know, now you know a little bit more, so I think it would still be good. And and it's it's one of those things in the back of my mind that I'm like, yeah, I want to go back to it eventually and, and get another ending, get another couple endings or whatever. But it's like, with all the games to play, it just felt to me like... I, like, my time wasn't justified to go through the same content for the multiple endings, you know? Yeah. And that makes sense to me. Because like... it's, it's, it's a weird thing, too, because I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, like, fairly shortly before I beat this game, or before I played this game, I played and beat... The Last of Us Part 2, and Last of Us Part 2 is like a 30, 35 hour game, somewhere in there. So it's not long, long, but it's like, it's longer, it's, it's, it's in that medium range, and I thought, it is so weird that I would rather play a 40 game, a 40 hour game once, just to see the ending, than to play a 9 hour game three or four times. But I totally would. I would absolutely... Like, if I had the choice to play a 10-hour game four times or one 40-hour game once, I would play the one 40-hour game once. Because at the very least, I feel like the, the all those 40 hours are, are variable. You know, they're dynamic. It's not the same thing four times. Yeah. But that... maybe that comes back to a gameplay sense, too. So I, I, But I feel like in this case, it ties into the idea of the multiple endings. That's more like repetition isn't usually fun for us unless there's variation in it. Yeah, and to be fair, I don't know exactly how much variation there is. Because, I mean, I, I could vary it up myself just by doing more side quests and stuff like that. But, you know, it's like I had other things that I wanted to play, so I didn't. Uh, let's see. I think a game that really nailed multiple endings was uh, Fallout New Vegas. Okay. That's a game where, basically, you have four big main endings you can get. Uh-huh. But then you have... It really does have the modular ending thing go on, where it's like you can get many, many different, like, endings to, like, oh, and here's what happened to this companion, and oh, here's what happened to this town you interacted with, and oh, here's what happened with these people like, you helped out, uh, and it, like, goes on in a lot of, and, and this is, like, classic Fallout tradition. Uh-huh. Fallout and Fallout 2 had this as well. Um, but New Vegas kind of had a lot more of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, in terms, and it was the multiple endings came naturally from the many, many different choices you could make. Like, the factions you aligned yourself with, 
how you ended up resolving like the central conflict in the plot. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of who you were playing with. So even when you replay the game and it's like everything resets, um, if you choose to go through it a different way, everything feels different. Right. Uh, everything feels very differently because the world reacts to you. And it's not just that you're having multiple endings. It's that you're taking multiple paths. It's yeah. not a branch at the end. It's everything is branching out as you play it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a success in terms of multiple endings is that you can't just think about the ending. You got to think about the path that leads to it. Mm-hmm. With multiple endings, that's also the case. It's why I don't like multiple endings at the end of games where it's, oh, you make this choice or this choice, and that determines what, which of the multiple endings you get, because <laughs> right. it doesn't feel natural, it feels forced. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of get that. Uh, another game I think did it really well, similarly, it was uh, Knights of the Old Republic. Because um, that, that game... It, it more or less had three endings basically and it it, it 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 sounds like it did it to a lesser extent than Fallout No Vegas but I still think it was like it was it was a pretty well done idea of it because it basically you have your light side ending if you're a good guy your dark side ending if you're a bad guy and if you manage to land it right in the neutral area there's a third neutral ending but that's like really hard to get because you actually have to like calculate your points exactly through the whole game and like make sure you don't have too many like if you even have like one positive light side point or one po- or one negative dark side point then then you'll get the, those endings so um it's like you kind of have to work for it to get a true neutral ending but uh, I, I thought it was kind of neat. And I, I never saw either of the other ones, but at the same time, I totally played into the dark side. And, like, as soon as they tell you... Uh, spoiler redacted. I was just, like, totally playing into it. And I was like, yes, okay, I am... Spoiler redacted. So, <laughs> I, I don't know if you get the spoilers, but... Uh, I, I think I get the spoiler. Yeah, and, and I was you, you just like... You played into it and went... Uh, yeah, and I was like, the moment that. they told you the spoiler, I was like okay, I am fucking here for the spoiler, and I am going all the way dark side, and I played into it as heavily as I could, and I took over the fucking galaxy like a boss. <laughs> you, you didn't, uh... You, you didn't do the other thing. Uh, which other thing? The, uh, light side where you're like, eh, nah, I'm not gonna do that. Yeah, no, I was just like, I mean... I was already using the most violent solution to all of my problems that I possibly could. Really, Anakin Skywalkering every problem. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, that's a game that I picked up at one point and wanted to play, and then it did not work. So mm. I had to refund it. Uh, I tried but... to play through it again when they ported it to mobile, but the touch controls were just kind of shit. So yeah, no, no, no yeah. reason. To play I would that. like a modern like remake of that if they just like streamlined everything a little bit and 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 polished it up. That's an interesting thing too, an interesting game because mechanically it's literally the Star Wars D twenty system. It's it's literally Dungeons and Dragons Star Wars version in a video game. 
which is pretty cool. Yeah, it was. Uh, I think it was based on Star Wars D20. It was, which is basically 3.5 D&D, but with a couple of, like, slightly different mechanics. But, like, if you understand the base of, of uh, D20, of, of 3.5 D&D, it was, like, surprisingly easy to just cheese yourself out with all the best feats and, and uh, you know, know what kind of equipment to stack together to be really just too powerful. It was pretty awesome. Um, what do you think about multiple endings like in Morrowind? Where Morrowind obviously is a game that has two sequels now. Uh, so Morrowind has this thing where it's like, it's got these multiple endings, but, uh, they don't really affect the canon. They, cause in, in the Elder Scrolls terminology, I think they call it Dragon Break, where basically what, how it works is all of the multiple endings that you could potentially get are part of the canon, and the timeline is like, ooh, it's wibbly-wobbly-timey-wimey, or, you know, however you want to describe that. And it's all, like, all of the, all of the potential one, things, yeah, all of those potential things happened, and so all of them affect what is now the reality in Oblivion, basically. Um, so, you, uh, yeah, go ahead. Okay, so I never got any of the endings to Morrowind. I played it a little bit as a kid, but I was like, oh man, I, I swing my sword, but I miss because my attack skill isn't high enough, and also there's like, it, there were a lot of things about the game I didn't get, so I got frustrated and stopped playing. To be fair, I uh, am certain I played 300, 400 hours of Morrowind, and I also never beat it. But my understanding was that um, your character in Morrowind was basically the power of saving and loading the game was like a plot power as uh -huh. in it was it was like oh you're jumping this timeline has failed you jump to one that isn't yeah that uh, was a funny uh kind of thing where like if you killed particular npcs it would give you that message just be like hey uh you can reload your save now and and fix your fuck up or you can you can keep playing the game, but you killed that guy. You can't beat the game anymore. <laughs> right? You doom the world yeah. by killing this stupid bitch in the Mages Guild. The the threat of prophecy has been severed. Yeah. I think with... But, uh, I'm like, it makes sense that the multiple endings would be there, and, and it also makes sense, based on your character's power, that all of them happened at once. Mm -hmm. Because you're jumping timelines so that all of them could happen at once. <laughs> Basically, you fuck the timeline. Uh, so that, that's kind of funny to me, but I, I think that's. Mm -hmm. I, I think that. I, I'm not sure if it's, like, objectively good, but I like it. Yeah, I kind of like the idea of it, but at the same time, it's kind of like, okay, so I guess it kind of doesn't matter. Um. Because the only similar situation where I actually played the game is, uh, there's, like, uh, there's technically two endings to Fire Emblem Path of Radiance, even though they're not really multiple endings, it's just, if you kill the Black Knight, the Black Knight is dead, 
And if you don't kill the Black Knight, theoretically, the Black Knight escapes and he's alive somewhere in the world. But the canon ending is that Ike kills the Black Knight. But I didn't do that. But it was weird because the canon ending, that's what happened. So when I played the sequel, even though I like loaded my data to get extra items um when i got the new game uh in radiant dawn the canon story is that i killed the black knight and i was like that's not what happened that's so weird so uh i i think these, this kind of thing like kind of makes sense but it's like i don't know because it's like if if you're gonna have multiple endings i feel like if you're going to then have a sequel, I don't know what's the right choice. Do you have a canon ending like this? Or do you have a dragon break where it's just like, okay, um, every, you know, every ending is, is the true ending and the timeline is fucked up. <laughs> I think they could have resolved that in uh, Radiant Dawn with one very simple thing. It's just asking a question, did I kill the Black Knight? Yes or no? When you right, start yeah, a new just, game, just when you it, see, you know, just like reading that as a flag. Right. Yeah, that would actually be kind of cool too if they had like put that something into that. As because there was a thing where like if you had your GameCube memory card in your Wii when you're playing this, you can like load your. I don't remember what if extra thing you got, but like you get some kind of extra bonus when you start the game right if you have path of radiance save file data that you load um yeah and it's like if they had done something with that and then like if there was like alternate missions or like even if it just added like one side mission where the black knight was alive and you had to fight him in radiant dawn that would have been fucking awesome or like you had to fight him but then you could recruit him afterward Something like that, yeah, as, like, a little bonus for yeah. people who did that. That would be sweet. Dude, we need to, like, go back in time and, and like, fix Fire Emblem. I'm not, like, and not really the, fix, they, because that's still my favorite fucking Fire Emblem, and I think it's fucking perfect, but, you know. <laughs> I mean, Path of, Path of Radiance isn't the one that needs fixing. It's uh, Radiant Dawn that would need... The, and I'm like, and it's such a simple thing, too. It just takes a little teensy amount of design forethought and uh, the ability to flip one flag and then have just that as like oh yeah, if this is the case then you change some of these dialogue options and mm -hmm. you have this optional and you have this encounter happen at some point. That's yeah. it. That'd it, be it and it would and it's such a small thing that requires mm -hmm. not that much development effort to add such a huge feeling of impact. Yeah. It's like it's it's a force multiplier. It's like a Especially lever since I'm pretty sure they like borrowed assets from the original too. And and yeah. just like used like they reused the game engine, I'm pretty sure reused a lot of the assets and just made a new game out of it. So like they already were like saving time on this pretty well, but you know. I'm also in the weird, like, obscure camp of people that actually likes Radiant Dawn pretty well, too. Uh, I never played... I played Path of Radiance. I never played Radiant Dawn. Mm -hmm. I feel like Radiant, Radiant um, Dawn was a pretty decent follow-up. It was... I thought the story was compelling because it's, like, from the opposite side of the, you know, 
war. At least from the beginning. Yeah, at least from the beginning. And then you kind of, you know, line up with uh, Ike and him, his friends, and, and see what's up with them. So the my end, reason so. for never playing Radiant Dawn might be one of the dumbest reasons possible. Is I did not like that the main characters were a healer and a thief. And I was like, what thief? That's a weak class. <laughs> It's fucking true. <laughs> Although uh, I think once he got, he gets like a South gets like a. I feel like he gets some sort of unique class once he levels up enough or something. So uh, I, he I ends think... up being good because he's a main character. Because also that's a thing that Fire Emblem kind of does is that you... your main characters are way fucking broken. Don't you eventually just get Ike back and you then he's also, still Ike? Yes, you get Ike back and legit Ike is like one of the most broken characters in the game because he's Ike. Yeah, Ike Ike was broken in Path of Radiance and he would be even, stands to reason, he'd be even more broken in Radiant Dawn. Yeah. Uh, so... Anyways, um, I have a final thought, uh, not a final okay. thought, but a, a final point of discussion on the uh, multiple endings thing is um, games like Blasphemous uh, or the Zelda Oracle games where you have a multiple ending that's quote-unquote the real ending. Uh, what do you think about that kind of thing where it's like there's the real ending that's locked behind some specific set of tasks? Like as in the Oracle games, you have to beat one and then use your transfer code to transfer your save to the second one. Whichever one, it doesn't matter which one you do first. To get the, I, the real ending where you fight Twin Rova and Ganon. Or in Blasphemous, I, basically the bad ending is that you beat the game, and the good ending is that you 100% the game. You literally just have to go find all the rest of the collectibles in the whole game, and then you can get the good ending in Blasphemous. So, I think... Uh, I think that can be handled varying ways. Uh, I think... Having it... Well, I think with, like, Oracle of Ages, Oracle of Seasons, getting... Like, like those games should have just been sold together. Or right. they should have been, like, in the same pack. Because they were really just one game. You sh It's just, you choose which way you go, which order you go in. Uh-huh. And then the true ending is, like, defeating zombified Ganon. Right. Um, I think part so, of the justification so I, for releasing them as separate games was the multiplayer capabilities because it wasn't really like multiplayer but you could like trade rings and stuff and so for that yeah. reason i feel like they wanted it to be a little bit like pokemon right like oh i have oracle of ages and you have oracle of seasons so we can get different unique rings to trade with each other in the game where you know oh i got red i you got blue i'll trade you my sand shrew for your uh ekans because they're version exclusive that never happened or it, it's like it never was gonna have that crossover appeal it's like pokemon red and blue uh as much as i think I, as much as i think that was also like there's like oh yeah t uh one game for the price of two <laughs> uh but it's also, it 
Pokemon Red and Blue really did have, like, that social aspect. Yeah. Um, whereas Pokemon Oracle of Ages, Pokemon... Or- Pokemon Oracle of Ages. I want this <laughs> fucking game, Chris. <laughs> Legend of Zelda Oracle of Ages, Legend of Zelda Oracle of Seasons. Uh, you had two completely kind of separate games, and then you just kind of had, like, the ending, like, the extra ending tacked on if you happen to add both. So, it's like, all right. So, uh, I mean, they were they were complete games, I would say. Yeah. Uh, on their own, but the extra ending tacked on, it's kind of, they could have been to get, I don't hate it, but I'm like, it really wasn't necessary, and I feel like they would have been better together. Yeah. And I feel like the intended experiences, you have both. Yeah, that's kind of how I am, which is kind of funny because I have both. I've beat both, but I've never got that secret ending because I didn't beat. I, I you know, I got both and I kind of started them both separately and I played through them. And so I've never completed a save file that used the code from the other. So I've never really. D- done the twin rova fight or the ganon fight i understand what happened because i'm you know obsessed with zelda lore and i just look up everything and, and read fucking every zelda book they publish but you so know I it's, actually, it's a I weird thing that, that as a huge zelda fan this is like one of the few zelda experiences that i am missing because of this so that i actually did i actually did play through that fight and i was like uh it's like it's a good like final boss segment. It's like a good kind of like a kind of cool bonus conclusion. But is it worth like if you didn't liked one of the games and didn't want to play the other? Is it worth the extra money to get the other game? No. Uh-huh. It's uh, it's like oh yeah, classic Zelda lore. Zelda shows up and then they're like oh we we want to yeah. revive Ganon that kind of yeah all that. And um, it is weird because I was very happy with my two individual playthroughs of both games you know i feel like each one as a standalone is as good as most other zelda games right they are good zelda games. yes they're they're good zelda games but Um, the fact that the quote-unquote real ending is hidden behind playing both of them and doing something that's actually kind of a pain in the ass to do especially on a replay because it's like on replays i've you know, I've started game files with these things and just never seen it all the way back through again because it's like I, I just got too much shit to play. <laughs> I mean, it's, it is a whole sixteen dungeons, so yeah. it's kind of a task. Yeah, because uh, like uh, I, I, I would like to see the Link's Awakening remake treatment of those games, but fuck put yes. them in one cart. Yeah, and then ha- have us choose which one we play through first. And then we play through the next one, and then we have that ending. And I would like that. I would fucking... I would play through that, because, like, most of my subsequent Link's Awakening playthroughs I haven't beaten either. But, like, you put that little bit of modern spit shine on it, you know? Make make it so that you got more than two buttons to equip shit to, like Link's Awakening did, and or, or, or you know, permabind shield to R and permabind whatever to this button, you know? Stuff like that. Okay, you know, that's all you really need. And then it's just so much more accessible. And, yeah. Uh, I, I would totally play through it if they if they did that. So, 
another thing. So, so you mentioned blasphemous, and because I am the sort of person who looks up stuff like this, even when I don't end up playing the games, I know what endings you're talking about. I know about going about getting that uh, true ending. That's kind of and funny because I, I've I gotta, played the game, but I've never, I've never got the true ending, and I've never looked it up. So, <laughs> I, I might I've be about to say, learn something. I've got to say, games that have the true ending locked behind some arbitrary threshold. Mostly, I just think that's stupid. Uh-huh. I think I think being like, oh, you gotta get 100% completion, you gotta do, like, this extra task that you gotta look up in a guide to know how to do. I was like, fuck you. Right. I, I, stop disrespecting my time and just give me the fucking ending. If I wanted to do the yeah. extra tasks, you would have made them intrinsically rewarding. Right. I feel like they were rewarding enough in Blasphemous yeah. for me that I, I would have... I, I went out of my way to do multiple. I got most of the collectibles, but, like, the obscure few that I missed, I didn't feel like trekking through literally the whole game again to see what little corridor here and there I missed, right? I just yeah, missed, like... I, and it's, it, it's also a weird case where I got the bad ending, but I was still satisfied with it as an ending because when I beat Blasphemous, I didn't know there was multiple endings. I beat it, and I thought... This is like this weird, bittersweet conclusion to what I've been doing for the past, you know, 12 hours or so. It wasn't super long. It was like, it was 12 or 15 hours, I feel like. I don't know. But it's like, I feel like the bad ending was like pretty good as an ending. It was a solid conclusion to what had happened. It was a sensical conclusion to what had happened, and it was presented in such a way that I accepted it, and I was like, that was a cool ending. And then I found out that there was, like, a secret true ending, and you could get it if you, like, went back through and collected all these collectibles. And I, I booted up the game again, and I looked at my map to see, like, what little... Because if you look at your map, you can see, like, what areas you haven't explored. And I'm like... 99% of the map is explored, but there's, like, little tiny bits and pieces here and there that I'm just like, okay, yeah, I could go all the fucking way back to this part of the map and maybe hopefully find one of the collectibles I missed, but I don't really know which one has what collectible. I don't... And, and it would just take, like, hours to trek through all of it back to check these few locations that I missed and then like if it was in somewhere that I had explored and I just missed it somehow like y you wouldn't have had any idea and from what I understand there's been a patch now that it makes that a little more streamlined uh, but I, I have not played Blasphemous since my original playthrough but I'm, I, I'm told there is now a patch for the game that make, streamlines getting all these collectibles and shit I dislike hiding... Blasphemous is... Because I know that there were the two endings, and I know what the first ending is that you get if you don't do the tasks, I'm like... It, I'm like... Uh, I, I, I feel like you, you appreciated it. Obviously, these things are subjective. Because mm -hmm. you... Um, but I feel like it was kind of... It, looking at it, it looked like kind of a blue ball ending. 
I can like, see how you say that, but it was like just the way that it was presented. I was kind of like almost salty about it, but I was like, you know what? I like the way that they kind of presented it, and I'm like, it's it, it's this. It's it's hard to explain without like spoileries, and I'm like, it's two years old now. Can we do spoiler? Yeah. I don't know, but um, so I'm like, I don't want to spoiler anything, but it's like, I appreciated it for what it was, and at the time, again, I I just didn't know there was two endings, so like, I was like, I'm all right with that. That was a cool ending for what it was. It is certainly unexpected as shit. And that's Early one of the on things brand. that I really liked about it was just it, that it I would never, yeah, I would never have predicted that even for this game. And it was like, yeah, it was on brand. It was, it was totally like just the sort of thing that Blasphemous would do because Blasphemous is that kind of game. So I'm like, I respect it. I dig it. I was all right with it. Uh, I guess what I would say is my, my taste about those the two different endings aside, because they they both kind of have uh, their own issue. I dislike hiding the like the true ending or like the good ending behind obscure bullshit. Right. I think that's. I think if I have to look it up in a guide, uh, how to get the better ending, you are not doing right by the potential from for multiple endings. Yeah, because I guess, like, if I had had this in a pre-internet era, I would have had no idea, and I would have just thought that that was the ending, because it didn't... It doesn't tell you that there's two endings. It doesn't yeah. give you a hint that you can get a better ending by 100%ing the game. And it's like, even knowing to expect that stuff, and I was like, what, do I need to complete the uh, egg collecting mini game. Mm -hmm. Do yeah. I uh And it was kind of funny too. Another game that kind of does this is Control. I think there's a second ending that you can get because it sort of alludes to like uh oh, if I go back and help all these people, then something'll happen basically. And so I'm like, "Oh, maybe there's like another ending or like a post-game ending or something." that I yeah. could get by going back through all the areas. Cause it's a little bit Metroidvania like where like, if you go back to these areas, now that you have the power to fly and, and different you powers, stuff. yeah, you can, you can go different directions. You can unlock stuff like that and, and do different quests. And so I'm like, okay, that's kind of cool. Uh, but I was like, I was also just kind of done with that game. I was like, yeah, I, I saw it. I, so I, so, and At I the think very least, it was alluded to. It was like, which, I, again, I, I've never... At that one, I've never looked up, so technically, I don't know if there's anything that happens if you 100% it, but it it seemed like the game was telling me, hey, if you 100% this, you'll get a new ending, or or a, a, a post-ending ending, you know, something like that. Yeah. I... Let me see. What do I think? I think uh, that... <laughs> I think this is highly implementation dependent mm -hmm. because it's like with the way Blasphemous handled it, just watching it, it bothered. Just watching other people go through it, it bothered. But in uh -huh. terms of like Link's Awakening, having like the 
for one, the ending is not really that different if you do the thing. And it's much more of a challenge to get, like, the secret additional part of the ending. And it's more of, like, it's more of an addition. It's not, it doesn't really change anything about the end. Yeah, um, you um, mean the oracles? Uh, no, I mean Link's Awakening. I mean beating the game and not dying a single time. Oh, that, okay, yeah. Um, yeah. I, for some reason, when you said Link's Awakening, I was thinking a link to the past, and I was like, the game doesn't have two endings. What are you talking about? But yeah, no, I, I, uh, I mean Link's Awakening. Yeah, and Link's Awakening I, makes more sense. Yeah. So okay. I'm like, that that definitely has obscurity behind it, but it doesn't. The ending isn't substantially different. It's a yeah. pretty minor difference. Yeah, it's, it's like it's, nice it's not so much a different ending as it is like a bonus for completing the game without ever dying, right? Yes. Uh, kind of like, like if nice you beat Halo reward. 1 on Legendary, there's a bonus cutscene, right? Yeah. It's not a different ending, technically. It's just, here's a bonus cutscene. And it is fucking hilarious. If you've never seen it, go beat Halo 1 on Legendary or look it up on YouTube, whichever one you feel like doing. I won't judge. Uh, and then I'm like, and I really liked how Breath of the Wild handled it, because A, the secrets there... They weren't really... It's like, you had to search for them, but they weren't really obscure. You knew... Yeah. That, like, you knew the there's, you like, the 12 memories or whatever it is. You knew, yeah. like, you could you look at these images, stuff. and yeah. if you've, like, explored the world very much, which you have, because that's how you play the fucking game, <laughs> yeah. then you'll have an idea of how to do that. Yeah, so actually, uh, yeah, like, I got that, like, my first playthrough. Uh, hey, Joshua Thompson is in the chat. He's saying, did he not miss the sing? Is it still going on? It is indeed still going on. Uh, so we, we are here. We're, we're near the, we're near we the are near end. the end. So, uh, yeah, it, currently we're talking about multiple endings in video games. Uh, but I, but I'm like, even if you missed the bonus extra cutscene because you didn't get those memories, Breath of the Wild, it's not. It's not the same thing. It doesn't feel like, oh, I have to do this arbitrary bullshit to get yeah. what I want out of the game. It's like, yeah. oh. And it doesn't feel like a like... true ending. Like, I feel like that the true ending terminology yeah. has come from a specific place. And Breath of the Wild isn't really it. Breath of the Wild is like, you know, you do the extra challenges. And it's not even 100% of the game. It's... 100%ing the memory quest, you get a bonus cutscene. And it's, it doesn't really change the ending, it's just an addition to the ending, which I think is kind of cool. Yeah. So I think I think that particular trope of true ending, or like addition to the ending, can be handled to better degrees. Um... Uh, Joshua Thompson suggests uh, stop stopping, have multiple endings for the podcast, it's on topic. Yes. Well, I mean, technically we always have multiple endings to the podcast. Do we? Yeah, the YouTube ending and the Podbean ending. I mean, we usually have different beginnings because I start streaming and then we do the you know, 15 to 15 seconds to 2 minute intro on on YouTube. Uh, usually yeah. I cut them off at the same time on the recording, so, um, yeah. 
I see. Let's see. Uh, but yeah, the the trope where oh, you didn't do the extremely obscure. Th Actually, I have a perfect example for multiple endings for like true endings of something that bugs me and something uh, and of it being implemented well and it being implemented poorly, and they both come from the same franchise, even. And that is Sonic. Yeah. So, in Sonic 2, so Sonic 1, Sonic 2, Sonic 3, Sonic and Knuckles, uh, you can get the normal ending by just beating the game, and you right. get the true ending by getting the Chaos Emeralds. Uh... So, and I like the way the Genesis games implement that because kind of because particularly in Sonic 2 onwards once you got all the Chaos Emeralds you could go supersonic so it felt like that was something you were encouraged to do anyway was more oh I'm going to get this bonus thing out of this you, you also got like the true the extra true ending by having the ability to go supersonic or having all those Chaos Emeralds. Hmm. Um, so you were, like, encouraged to play through the games multiple times and go through and just get them out of those secret stages. I think that... I, I like how that was done in the Genesis games because it was something you were naturally going to find out about and do on your own. Uh -huh. I dislike how it was done in the Sonic Advance series, uh, particularly Sonic Advance 2 and 3, where to mm. get the Chaos Emeralds, you had to know the spe like very specific secret entrances to specific uh, Chaos Emerald stages, of which there's only seven, and you had to know exactly where to look to get them. Um, and take one of the many routes there that was very unintuitive and very non-obvious. Mm -hmm. it, it's basically the looking up a guide problem. You had to look up a guide how to get to it, and even with the guide, it was a pain in the ass to find where these secret stages were. Right. It wasn't just like a thing you encountered at every stage or every checkpoint or whatever. It was something you had to go out of your way to find. Or you, you had to actually know where they were in the first place. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that was a really shitty way of implementing that. I think they ruined what was perfectly good design. Yeah. Uh, Joshua Thompson has an interesting point here in the chat. World of Warcraft raids for several expansions had special ending phases that only happened on the hardest difficulty, which is only cleared by about 2% of the player base, too. I And he says, uh, I think that little extras are fine, like Breath of the Wild's bonus scene, but anything that's only seen on the hardest difficulty that's a major plot point shouldn't be behind that wall. And and I kind of agree. Like, we were just talking about the Halo 1 ending. If you beat it on the hardest difficulty legendary, you get a little bonus scene. It's a little bonus. It's cool. It's like, alright, you beat, you beat, you, you get a little reward. It's fine. But to have plot significant stuff behind that, that's bullshit in a hat. And yeah, yeah. I, admittedly, I was the type of WoW player who had no fucking clue what was going on in the lore at any point. I'm just <laughs> like, 
Like, I knew who, like, the big leader people were of the Horde, and so I knew that I should be pissed off when they fucking elected Garrosh Hellscream as the war chief when Thrall retired or died or something happened to Thrall. I forget. Anyways, this is like that that is that is the extent of my World of Warcraft actual story knowledge. I just accepted the quests. I read very few of them. They were neat, but they were far too text heavy and wordy and all of them boiled down to go collect five guts from whatever monster is in this area. So I didn't give enough of a shit to actually pay attention most of the time. So I'm like, I don't know. Having a special like bonus phase of a boss for people on hard difficulty is like they wanted difficulty, so having an extra difficult, extra multiple ending phase I think it just kind of naturally what you'd expect. I like that. Yeah, I, I like that idea, but having a, what he's describing as a major plot point yes, hidden behind having... this, that's that's what I call BS on. That's that's fucking stupid. I Yeah, I'm like, I think if you're going to have a game with normal difficulty, and then you're going to have hard difficulty, and you want to and hide the major plot pointer, the true ending behind the hard difficulty, it's... Why do you have the normal difficulty? Right. And then you're, like, fucking most of your player base, because they don't have, you know... Most of them yeah. don't have either the skill, or the patience, or the ridiculously good skilled raid group to, you know, beat these raids on, on the hardest difficulty. Yeah. And if it was like an MMORPG or it's like some other form of game, you're going to find this out from the community because it's a community-oriented game. That might be okay. You're like, oh, I didn't see this myself, but these other people did and they told me about it because... To an extent, but it's like if they tell you about it, but you can't see it yourself because you're not a hardcore raiding player, that would be like kind of a swift kick in the nuts. I would be like pissed off if that was, you know, because I, as a raider, when I was raiding in World of Warcraft, I had trouble getting through things on the normal difficulty because I wasn't part of a raiding guild. I didn't raid like regularly. I would like try and get a pickup group to do some raids every now and then if I had time that I could, you know, I was like, whenever I was logged on, I'd be like, oh, hey, I, I need a group to try and go through this raid to get this item and, and try and beat the Lich King finally was, was my end goal. And I was like, I, I literally never beat the Lich King, even on normal difficulty, because playing like that as just a normal player you, it was re really hard to find a random group of players that were actually skilled enough to do that. And then to go beyond that, to have some like plot significant element hidden behind doing it on a harder difficulty is fucking retarded. Yeah, and the only reason I think that might be acceptable in the game is you find out from other raiders and eventually the plot point gets revealed anyway when the game updates. <laughs> My brother Josh uh, like, in the chat is reminding us that uh, our raid group 
had players that died during the roleplay before the boss fight. We were never destined for hardcore cutting edge rating, which is was a fucking hilarious story that uh, we were like, we went, I don't remember what rate it was, but there's like this, uh, you get up to the top of the tower and the, the boss like does this big old monologue and it's like a, you know, a kind of a, not a cutscene because you're like still controlling your characters, but it's it's like a cutscene, right? You're you you can move your guys around and you can't attack the enemies until the actual fight officially starts, and uh, just out of nowhere, I don't we don't know if it glitched or what the hell happened, but the boss came up to our buddy Tyler, his character, and just fucking beat his ass and one shot him. Because our buddy Tyler was just, he was a DPS. He wasn't a tank. He didn't have the hit points, the armor to fucking take a, a hit from this guy. He just charged him out of nowhere in the middle of his fucking monologue. Just killed him outright and fucking kept on talking. And it's in the middle of the monologue, so we can't attack him. We can't. You know, because it's it's one of those things that's like the, the monologue event is still going on, so it, it doesn't let you attack him until the combat starts. And we're like, what the fuck? He just killed Tyler. But we're all just standing there. Tyler. Yeah, it, right? You know Tyler. That's exactly the kind of thing that would happen to Tyler. And, and somebody came up and fucking resurrected him and had enough time to resurrect him and heal him and buff him back up before that all. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Sourfang the Younger was the boss fight in Ice Crown Citadel 10-Man was the, uh, raid. My brother's reminding me. I was like, I thought it was Ice Crown, but I didn't remember the dude's name. Yeah. So, that was, that was fun times. R.I.P. Tyler. <laughs> yeah, all right. Do we have anything last to say on, um, this topic here? I think I'm about ending doubt. All right. Well, uh, since my brother asked for bagpipes last time he was in the live chat and I forgot, I will give him an extra bagpipe tune uh, today. So here's another bagpipe tune. we can move into our final segment of the podcast which is where we talk about inane bullshit until somebody says something really awkward and I cut off the podcast um, so I, I did skip over my video games when uh, we were talking about what you're playing because I went into a character death that happened yesterday of my poor character a bastard that that was his name it was a bastard um, what uh, it, it was literally a bastard Yes, it, it was literally a bastard. Uh, well, technically, it was Sir Bastard. I started as a bastard, and then I was dubbed Sir Bastard by the Rat Folk Prince Agis. Interesting, uh, interesting, fun character. Uh, yeah. Anyways, so, but uh, I, I forgot to talk about video games because I've been playing a little more Shantae on Game Boy Color because I got that, 
and it's cool. Um, and it, like, I like it. It's one slight downfall is that checkpoints are far enough away from each other that I feel like because I have it on Game Boy Color and I can't, like, just put it into sleep mode whenever I want, I have to, like, have enough time to get to the next checkpoint, right? Because it's not really checkpoints. It's, like, save points. There's hard save points. And if you die, you go back to, like, if you die, you have, like, four lives. So if you die, like, once, then you you go back to the start of the area. But if you lose your last life, then you go back to the last save save point you were at but you do keep your progress which is cool so it's like it's okay it's i i i like the challenge but it takes long enough that it's annoying (laughs) because i can't just put it in sleep mode so i regret a very tiny amount that i didn't buy it on switch instead but uh, i've been having a good time with it and i had like a weird epiphany that shantae is proof that Zelda 2 could have been fucking great. Because Shantae is pretty fucking good. And it it has a lot of similarities to Zelda 2, but I feel like everything is just done better. It feels more like a side-scrolling Zelda game than Zelda 2 does. I mean... Based on just the videos I've seen of, like, long play, yeah, that seems about right. Yeah, because it's like, the overworld is still in, like, your regular side-scrolly fashion. It doesn't have this weird shift between it. It doesn't, like, try and force RPG mechanics in where they don't really make sense and also don't actually help you. It's got heart containers... You actually have hearts. You didn't even have hearts in Zelda 2. You had little fucking boxes. Hey. <laughs> some people would pay good money to fuck a box. 